Hello and welcome back to another episode of Win in the J-Man. Today's episode is going to be Season 5, Episode 2, The One That Got Away. It was first in its time slot for October 5th, 2008, and its competition that day was Cold Case on CBS, Desperate Housewives on ABC, The CW Sunday Movie, and the end of the 26-21 to 21 game on Sunday Night Football featuring the Steelers and the Jaguars. That's pretty interesting to think about, that in 2008, there were more people that were interested in watching American Dad on network TV than there were people interested in watching the end of an NFL game. Because I don't know about you, but I've always been sold this idea that like the NFL is this ratings behemoth, and anything that comes on when, the, when there's a football game on is pretty much just treading water just hoping to grab the the remains of whatever the rest of primetime america is watching so that's pretty amazing to think about and and makes it that much more of a special episode the director of tim parsons he was a storybird artist for hey arnold powerpuff girls spongebob squarepants and with writers chris and matt mckenna they did the spider-man homecoming and far from home and community man what a great show honestly we you know, hmm. you do you remember what uh, what got us on the topic of community when we were down at uh, we were actually in Auburn for that. I'd gone down there for a weekend. Yeah, uh, it was like one of the first times you and I were actually on the TV together. <laughs> and it was uh, which again, watching... our apartment was a sacred spot to hold was, you know, to be in front of the TV with the hookah. <laughs> Hell yeah, baby. It was. So I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> we were watching the uh, the college humor videos with Donald Glover in it. Right, right. And you said, hey, he's also in community. And so that was like the only reason I decided to check it out is because love Donald Glover, love all the stuff he's done. It's hilarious. And, and yet, then see the Lion King movie, man. What's going uh, on with that? <laughs> we're not going to speak about that on this. <laughs> Fine. Very well. We will not speak on such matters. Find out why Josh really doesn't want to go see The Lion King. You can check his Twitter or his personal his personal blog, Why I Won't See The Lion King by Josh Miller. A staunch view, one man's dream for original content in the theaters. <laughs> That's right, people. Josh uh, sounds like he's 24, but in reality, he's actually about 65. Oh, yeah. You know me. I'll wake up every morning, have my cup of coffee down with my little pet poodle. She <laughs> saved in the best of ways. She really saved me. It wasn't her. That <laughs> but you you said that you had a little note about the uh, the writers here. I, d- I did. So Chris and Matt are, are pretty uh, – even just – we're only a couple of episodes in at this point. But I, I would like to believe that we've done at least two. I know we've already done one Chris and Matt episode, and they're kind of the – they're kind of the writing team that really did some significant work, especially during the like first four seasons of American Dad. And so apparently they got this idea uh, because they were obsessed with The Big Lebowski. And what they wanted at first was they wanted to make it somehow how Jeff Lebowski could end up being one of Roger's alter egos, which I think would be funny for like a one off or something like that. But I'm sure that the Cohen brothers have probably got some pretty good lawyers. So they would have had to basically say, all right, the only way we can do this is if we transform it into an entire episode. But they end up thinking how funny it would be if someone ended up urinating on Roger's rug and he had to figure it out, figure out who would come after him and stuff like that. So the same basic idea, instead of the ring, 
it just gets weirder and weirder from there. Apparently, the original story for the episode was that Roger's going to wake up in Shanghai and, you know, he's in trouble and it's just being caused by this evil and shadowy person. And they initially pitched that and they said, this is, we think this would be a really good idea for a Roger episode. And I think Matt Barker was the one who, who said no of the showrunners. And I think it's because they realized that Roger's already a bad enough character as it is they don't need someone being even more sinister or more evil than roger because roger already is a pretty terrible person as we see by the end of this episode and so they were like okay well what if he was a good guy instead and that's how this episode came to fruition which i thought was a really interesting story and it came from the uh dvd commentary so i thought that was really cool to to think about and just the process of how a story evolves this is clearly an episode that American Dad took some time, took some effort on, and clearly gave some attention to, not just because they put some of their best writers of the past couple of years on it, and this is kind of their first story of the new season, but also it says here in the notes that Seth is is usually pretty busy and doing you know Family Guy and American Dad, and I, I would imagine by 2008 the Cleveland show is either coming on or it's being it's being sold in pilots right now, and so he usually just kind of sits down at the table read and, you know, just reads it for the very first time. And is just, you know, because he is Seth MacFarlane is able to just figure out the voice or figure out what's funny or what works and everything like that. And so apparently this is not one of those episodes that where you could just sit down and start reading it. They had to ask him to like read it the night before in part so that he could figure out a good voice for Sydney. But I still think it's interesting that this is clearly something that American dad very much pushed for in terms of trying to make this particular episode a highlight of the season and really kind of the show itself. And I think it came off big, not just from the numbers, as we already discussed, but also from like a critical standpoint. And I'd, I'd say he was actually like right in the middle of getting the first couple episodes done because the first episode of the Cleveland show aired September 27th, 2009. There you go. Yeah. So this is if the Cleveland show is clearly in, is in its first writing stages or preparation phases. So yeah, he's, he's a busy man. And as we'll see in the opening, Roger will be in his Rastafarian. I had that one up here somewhere where, which, oh yes, Francine's flashback. When Francine has amnesia and she doesn't remember Stan. And the B story is that Roger is, Steve asks out this girl and he needs somebody for her friend. And her friend is just this hideous creature. And Roger has to dress up like this. She's like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have sex with you as long as you have a date for my friend. Yeah, exactly. It's the doll chick. No, 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 not that one. Not the one where not the one where snot assaults the girl, the, the doll. Oh, no. no. The one where the girl is just is just like ugly. It's she's kind of a monster. She's like disfigured and everything like that. And so Roger has to step up and pretend to have a good time with her so Steve can get laid. <laughs> This is like fourth episode of season one. So this is like where they're still just like, we just need something for Steve to do as a teenager. And that would be the first time that Roger really takes the bullet for Steve. Not the last time, though. Good Lord in heaven. Not the last time. But probably the heaviest bullet he's ever had on his heart. (laughs) That was profound. That That was beautiful. I'll be here, and you can buy the poetry book that comes along with this week's episode. And uh, Amazon, it'll be hitting stores early 2020. Do you mind giving us some other potential poems that you've been, been thinking about, been musing? Well, I've been reading my psychology book, and it's uh, it's really been opening everything up to me. It's made <laughs> me... You understand how the <laughs> human mind works. Exactly. <laughs> we begin this episode with 
Roger returns home and he is dressed like a drunk mariachi performer and he's getting an intervention. And he, of course, immediately says, oh, finally. All right, Klaus, first of all, you're, you're useless and everybody hates you. <laughs> and then they and then they just go straight on into, no, your problem is this these characters that you keep that you keep doing. And these are like this is how you know that this is going to be a good Roger episode is we're not even a minute into this episode. And he showcases a tanked mariachi band member, a Southern Bell, AT&T operator, Shalonda Dykes. <laughs> Thank you, but she's an AT. <laughs> and the Indian father of the bride, all within like 10 seconds of either. All for just one really quick line, all for one really quick gag. But you can tell that this is when Roger's at his absolute best is when he's doing these characters. And I, I love how Steve just points the fact out that he just gets right into it. Of He's just using all these disguises to hide every aspect of him because he's afraid of being who he truly is. Yes, yes, we all wear metaphorical masks. <laughs> it just gets right into it immediately. And I've got to say, this is like the first time that you really see Klaus being portrayed as part of the family with it. You know, That's, they even bring a chair for him. They do. He is a member of the family. Beloved. This is his B story, man. This is, I think, one of the, the most common misconceptions that I had as I was reading stuff and preparing for stuff. And even how I remembered this episode was the idea that this is obviously a Roger A story. Roger's at the driving center focus of the plot of this story. But this is Klaus's B story, man. Like, you can take it and be like, oh, yeah, the Smiths were trapped playing Simon. But that's all part of, of Klaus having to grapple with the fact that maybe what Roger said is is right. Maybe he is disliked. Maybe he isn't um, everyone's favorite. Maybe he's not really part of the family. So I love that you observed that, though, that they did make him part of the family at the beginning. And this would be the very first episode because everything else has just been, you know— Klaus, shut up. Klaus, get out of here. Really be in the Meg of the uh, family. Or even the Klaus stop being gross about Francine. Like those that that season one where it was just like Klaus is just horned up for Francine and that's who his character is kind of thing. And I've got to say, how do you like the next transition going right into the Canadian Mountie Roger? One of the things that I really love about this episode and has entered into my brain is the moment when he's lying on the ground and she's like, sir, I can't have you making calls lying on the floor there. Like, that's such a great the patter of who does this. It's Diane Delano does the voice for it. And it's just like this perfect customer service kind of voice of just like she doesn't really want to deal with him because he's clearly nuts. But at the same time, like she's got to uphold some form of law and order out here <laughs> behind the counter. It's got to be hell already being in customer service, especially at a gas station where you've got you probably don't have that many uh, bad people in there. But you see the two characters that are in line and you're like, all right, this is clearly not the best gas station to be around. Right. If I walked in and some dude was dressed as a Mountie on the ground with a cell phone, I'd be like, you know what? It says we're out of gas, but I think we can make it to the one across the street. Kevin Smith tried to make looking like working in a convenience store like that, at least somewhat charming or you know whatever with clerks and and then try to make do the same thing with gas station or not gas station workers um fast food workers and clerks too but dude that is not that is not the kind of place you want to be working for any long stretch amount of time and i know that sounds a bit snobbish and i know i am being a bit snobbish but i'm being honest right here like that's a tough life especially if you're working the graveyard shift which it looks like her character is doing yeah just just fed up she's trying to get enough money to buy that next spool of yarn Right. 
for her cat. And then she's got a great cat sweater on, I will say. It it is a very choice cat sweater, and I will need to be getting one of those. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, real quick, before we before we dive too far out off of this, I did I wanted to inquire upon your wisdom, young Joshua. You are you are much more of a tequila man than I, are you not? We bit. What the fuck is a tequila worm, man? Honestly, what is that? So a tequila worm, uh, it is the best part of a Mexican tequila. You know, like a good luck thing. Like, you know how there are people that will, like, bake things into, like, a mince pie or something like that. They'll, like, bake a – they used to bake a coin into it. And whoever, uh, you know, got the coin was lucky. And I think it's kind of like the same little thing with it. And the uh, the worm with it is supposed to have so much – it's supposed to be, like, a more concentrated thing with it. Apparently some people think it started as a uh, as a marketing ploy to get people to drink more mezcal. That's the one I actually do kind of like. Mezcal is all right, man. It reminds me a lot of rum. You know, just go ahead and go off on a tangent while we're already doing it. We're on a tangent of a tangent of a tangent right now. With a, when we went to Aruba, uh, there's a lady there that you can actually buy it, and she will ship it out to you. She would pick you up at their liquor store. She offered to pick you up from your hotel, drive you there, so you can try all the liquors. You don't have to buy any, and then she will drive you back. What? This sounds like a scam. It is not sounds a like scam. To, it sounds like you just were not worth enough for the re, for the revolution. That lady was so nice, and I don't want to throw her name out. And I don't have her business card yet, but she knows who she is. She's listening. Oh yeah, she's definitely listened down in Aruba. I, I know she's an American Dad fan, and she would not let me down on this. No, absolutely. You told her about it. You sent her your card, and she's been. She's been part of that. Real quick, totally don't want to stop the story, but just a quick shout out to New Westminster, Canada. Um, apparently, you people have listened to us the most, and we appreciate everything that you do in New Westminster. Just like Roger, we do support our our Canadian Mounties up there. I'm British Columbia. British Columbia. You know what? I'm gonna just go ahead and strike that from it. <laughs> Is that just because you got PTSD as a as an American for having the word British in front of anything? Our forefathers did not die for that. 50, 54, 40 or fight, if you ask me. Those those Brits got a little uppity towards British Columbia. Should have had the whole thing, but James K. Polk had to go and compromise. They don't even drink the finest of Southern champagnes that so embraces the nice, cool, crisp taste of a Coke. That is how you know that they are true treasonous bastards. Those Pepsi drinking scum, they will die. They will fall to the bottom of this earth. They will fall off the face of this earth, just like Florida in 20 years. (laughs) Is that the division? I I never forget. I I know that obviously here in the South, we are a Coke people. We will continue to drink Coca-Cola until it is radiated and green and we use its hubcaps for money. But like, where does the... Is it Northerners that drink Pepsi or is it Westerners? Is it an East-West thing or is it a North-South thing with Pepsi? I always forget. It's more of like a Northwest. It's okay. kind of it's kind of weird because it's more of, uh, you know, you get into like Michigan and Wisconsin and, you know, they don't drink any soft drinks. They just drink beer because, yeah. you know, you need something to cope with the fact that you're living in Wisconsin and Michigan. <laughs> and I've got a lot of family up in Wisconsin, <laughs> mainly the Green Bay area. Yeah. 
That is that is where my firm knowledge comes from with that. <laughs> but oh, you know okay. what? I feel like we got to get back to the episode. You're right. You're right. We do. Too and much we, and that's that's not the point of this podcast is, is to bring people <laughs> word of American death. And we will be set back in the attic where we find Roger in his black wig, black coat, one glove. Is Charles is Charles Bronson look, man. And and I'd love I'd love the Charles Bronson movies. I do. Great Escape is a fantastic movie. Magnificent Seven is a fantastic movie. Never saw Death Wish, in addition to a fine action movie actor. He is also the source of one of the greatest Simpson jokes of all time, which is the fact that I can't remember which character even gets off the bus, but they get off the bus incorrectly. And instead of ending up in Branson, Missouri, they end up in Bronson, Missouri. And there's a voice that Hank Azaria does, and it has now been distilled down to the Charles Bronson voice. Hey, Pally. Hey, buddy. That guy. That that voice has been used throughout with some of the best lines in The Simpsons. So they get off in Bronson, Missouri, and everybody looks like Charles Bronson. And they, one of the little kids goes, hey, mom, can I have a soda pop? And the mom goes, no dice. <laughs> I'll get you for this, ma. Like, just talks like Charles Bronson would in all of his movies, and it's just hilarious. It's one of the funniest Simpsons jokes of all time. So beautiful shout-out to Charles Bronson. You have my curiosity, and now you have my attention if, if we're going to be dressed up like Charles Bronson for a part of this episode. And we will finally get to the core story it's just a cool four minutes in it's right there's there's really no time to lose in this episode because you gotta you gotta set up his revenge tour in the first act you gotta provide consequences in the second act and then the third act is this the two coming together and and having a reconciliation of shorts so yeah there's no time for for dilly dally and they move straight on into it i've, I've got to say this one pro, out of all the episodes i've got to say this one fit the most information and probably like the most full story into a single episode. Oh, absolutely. They, so one of the things that I made mention to a little bit earlier was this idea that it was very critically well-received. I read way more reviews of American dad than I possibly could have thought I would. They, one of the things that came up constantly is the fact that this is an extraordinarily compelling story in a very compact amount of time. Like, this could have been turned into a whole movie and I would have watched this. This would have been great. The fact that they're able to squeeze this much information and really these many different characters in is a really impressive move by the writers and the director. And, I mean, just Tim Parsons having to direct this whole thing. Uh, I mean, I'm sure, you know, having to look back and forth, making sure you got everything. He's a career storyboard artist, Tim Parsons is, and so he's he's having to deal with a lot of – because think about it. If you take Sydney and Judy and – uh, Charles Bronson and all the other characters, he kind of switches back and forth. Those are all character template designs that have to be done. Those have to be created organically and then placed into this. So that means you can't just take the same four or five characters in the in the cartoon and just move them at different angles. Like they all, you got to get new designs for all of these characters or at the very least new outlines for them. And so that's where it's good to have a storyboard artist if you're going to have this much swapping around of characters and styles and everything like that. In fact, Tim Parsons was talking about kind of how he wanted to design this episode. And he said he tried to make a difference between kind of Roger's world and and Sydney's world. And he did that by trying to make the background colors more pastel-y is what he, the word that he used and, and kind of softer. So you can actually see the change in both light and coloring and everything like that when we switch over in the, sec- in the beginning of the second act and uh, Roger becoming Sydney Huffman. It does change it. That is actually, huh. 
<laughs> and that's what we're here for, folks. We are here for you to have those exact same reactions that Josh just had. So that the next time you watch it, you can remember those things and enjoy it and appreciate the things that go into this excellent episode of an excellent show. Going right off of that, we've got Roger finding the Sydney guy and going to ruin his life, starting with his job at McCreary Bibles. The transvestites who pooped mozzarella dinosaurs. That is still very relevant. Oh, is it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, transvestites who poop mozzarella dinosaurs. You know, that was a that was an outline joke in 2008. But man, that is really coming to its own in 2018. (laughs) Mainly the mozzarella portion is Christians are very lactose intolerant. We just just went mozzarella crazy as a nation back in 2012. But it it hasn't stopped. It was we the rise of cheese sticks. Craze. We thought the mozzarella craze would go down just like the calamari craze had gone down in ni- in the 90s. And, you know, the wing crisis had gone or the wing craze had gone down in the 80s. But no, those, those damn mozzarella, they stuck around and shaped like dinosaurs nonetheless. <laughs> and, I'm, you know, I got I want to backtrack a little bit. By all means. Klaus. Klaus. Finally back in it. As soon as they go back to the house, they're playing Simon. Klaus is finally part of the family. Beloved. And he makes one of my favorite jokes throughout this entire episode. <laughs> Stan, you, you missed a belt loop back here. <laughs> <laughs> Your pants didn't fall down today. Did say? <laughs> like, oh, God. That Just is, is... It is very annoying, like, laugh, too. Like this, ah, <laughs> ha, Like, he's trying so hard to make that a laugh, and it's just not working. Klaus, in this single frame, laughing his little fish head off, is the exact person that would make that mozzarella dinosaur joke in church, expecting (laughs) laughs and waiting and just standing there in silence as absolutely no one laughs. And the teacher just puts their hand in their head and says, get out. (laughs) And let's go ahead and move on to the next phase right right there uh, (laughs) where we've got CJ Neppy. I'm glad you picked that up too, man. CJ Neffy, what the fuck? <laughs> Come on, man. Y'all aren't even trying anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I don't even know who that's supposed to be making fun of. Come on, man. Are you? Yeah, you know exactly who it's supposed to be making fun of. CJ Neffy, that's JC Penny, man. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> You switch the letters on me. It makes me all confused. <laughs> your dyslexia kicked in. You were like, I don't get it, J.C. Petty. That's the first time I've ever seen it. I've I seen thought you were saying we're going after Iraq, not Iran. <laughs> <laughs> my, my God. Yeah, that one, that one completely just. <laughs> all right this is not only where we find in this next in in cj neppy this is not only where we find the judy panowitz who is sydney's huffman's girlfriend but we find that she's a judy panowitz that look that roger gives the camera when she says that line just looks straight at straight at the audience is like are you fucking kidding me it's a great look he does it one more time during this episode with the he only cared about a pizza. That shit is is very well animated and very 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 funny. You knew that he. You knew that she didn't stand a chance. The minute he looked at the screen, you're like, "Well, this girl's ruined." My my boyfriend buried me alive. <laughs> I'm tired of your excuses. It's because you let men treat you like garbage. <laughs> Jesus, that oh yeah, that is later on. 
Like that's the thing is I keep feeling like that has already happened. Well, like, that, just that's... how fast paced it is. Mm-hmm. It it feels like with seeing that mm-hmm. I've already seen the future portions of it, knowing what it is. You know, there's some movies that will have like flashbacks and everything. And, you know, some TV episodes will have flashback and they'll just have so many back and forth that you can't keep track. Mm-hmm. This was like the one episode that just it was so fluid with it. It just flowed like water down a hot summer sidewalk, steaming. As it rose up from the concrete jungle in which it lay, children skipped, rock, skipped roped around it. Really, they were skipping through time, beat by beat. Camera pans out. Sunset. Water drop throws up one hand into the air, jumps up. Still frame. Don't you forget about me. Oh, I was going to think it was, I, I would have thought we would have cut straight to that single water droplet falls from the sky. And the next words that echo across the empty streets are raindrops, drop drops, cooking Jesus. <laughs> Dude, tell me that wouldn't have been a better music video. That would have been a better music video. <laughs> But we will dive right back in with the Smith family in the living room playing some Simon. Your boy Klaus finally trying to get to be a part of the family and bringing in some board games. But it is the, you know, it is the four-tone succubus from Hasbro. Because it does, man. I'll be honest with you. I haven't picked up a bop it in years, but I bet you if I did and that damn thing said to pull it or twist it, I'd just do it out of instinct, man. I'd play, I'd play that for a good solid hour if I could. I'm a, I'm gonna say the bop it that we had was like the mouse trap that you had. Okay. The one ours, that the one that always worked. <laughs> yeah, ours ours never worked. Really? My bop it was so bad. It'd say bop it, you hit it, it's like, oh you didn't bop it, you pulled it. It's like, <laughs> okay, so did they just like screw up the programming in this thing where you know, they say bop it, you gotta like pull it. They twist it. You got to bop it. I mean, it. Is this, it's like if a rock, paper, scissors met a randomizer and you don't know what you've actually got. <laughs> so you began to learn it's contrary programming when it said bop it, you pulled it. Yeah. <laughs> we are going back to Roger sneaking into Sydney's home, okay. opening the door with the credit card that started everything. Dumping gasoline all around, saying, I'm doing this guy a favor by burning this down. The horrid decorations and being a douche with a capital bag. (laughs) Good line. And then you just you get that nice realization. He finds his glove, starts his lighter, ready to torch the place down. And then he finally makes the realization. I'm Sydney. The song that introduces Roger waking up is Pennsylvania 6500, which I'm I'm not an expert, but I do believe a Pennsylvania 6500 is a train. In the same way that it's like the Chattanooga Choo Choo, you know what I mean? For yeah. some reason, we love to write movies about uh, <laughs> about public transportation. No, apparently it's a telephone number. My bad. Um, kind of like eight seven six five three zero nine. Interesting, but yeah, like huh. you know, Roger wakes up and it's Glenn Miller playing on the orchestra. And again, if you weren't a hundred percent sure that it was Glenn Miller playing on the orchestra, there's a big old movie poster, very 
very elaborately detailed, I might add, of the Glenn Miller story starring Jimmy Stewart. And I, I do want to say I went down a pretty bad rabbit hole last night about the Glenn Miller story. Because Glenn Miller died very tragically in the 1940s, like fighting in World War II. So he was like the post-World War II golden child because he's a great musician. Everyone loved him and he died during the war. It'd be like I got you. It'd be like if Bruno Mars died in Iraq or something like that. Yeah. People make a movie about that. And so, first of all, it, the voice of Sidney, I thought, was patterned. They had him as some other kind of 40s actor. Dick Powell is who they patterned after. But I just hear Jimmy Stewart, man. He's doing a Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. It's it's very Jimmy Stewarty, And Jimmy Stewart was the kind of guy you'd want playing this. But I did, I did go down that rabbit hole. And, man, they had some great names for actors in the late 40s and early – or late 40s, early 50s. Listen to some of the actors that were on the the Glenn Miller story. You got George Tobias. You got Barton McLean, Sig Rugman, Sig, S-I-G, and Irv Bacon. (laughs) Good Lord. What kind of names are those, man? (laughs) Yeah, I'm just going to hang out with my bud Sig and my buddy Bacon. (laughs) Mother, I'm I'm doing a movie with with Barton McLean and Sig Rugman. Yeah, they're 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 big actors. It's gonna be a big break for me. Dear Lord, <laughs> those are some names. Those are some fucking names, man. And so he wakes up and and later on, uh, this is also speaking of some '40s names, man. The pigeons are named stuff like this too. Lennox, Hildegard, and Jedediah, man. What the fuck is that? That is some very 40s. Those are some 40s names, man. He's not just, like, traveled to another character. He's traveled to another time period with this stuff. This is, like, quintessential 40s Christian. Oh, yeah, man. This is the – This is the. there was so much evangelical stuff that was coming through here on this one that I was like, this is hits a bit too much close to home. Like – this one, I get this. I understand this. I understand Sidney Huffman more than I feel comfortable understanding Sidney Huffman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, my, I love the joke that he just leads off with of the whole, did I donate my other glove over to yes. a, <laughs> no, I would have remembered getting a sloppily written thank you note. Jesus. That is that is one thing that I know uh, probably a lot of people are still pissed out off about uh with our wedding we did not send out thank you notes yeah i in in all honesty i feel like that is more of an upper class thing uh i'd I'd say you know upper middle that that type area and above uh personally we just didn't have the funds for it so if you are listening to this and you were expecting a thank you note i am very sorry and i am very thankful for anything and everything you did and thank you for coming to the wedding (laughs) <laughs> especially me, you winslow uh, thank you buddy let me also remind you that if you get to the 15th level of patreon that we will surely set up when this thing becomes profitable uh well, when you get to the 15th level of our patreon group josh will actually handwrite you a thank you note something he doesn't even do for his own family and it's going to be very sloppily written did you have that great aunt margaret at your wedding and you didn't even write her a thank you note <laughs> That was like the one nice thing is we had so many like family members there and everything. And, you know, I I think it'd be all his family. Whenever you, Carol, Chuck, anyone like that comes over, you know, always that's family. Yeah, I, I feel this. I feel a similar sentiment. I feel more at home in Dalton, Georgia 
than I do in pretty much anywhere in the world besides my own actual home. It is definitely a second home. I throw that term around a lot recently, but it has definitely become a second home to me. Feel free to come by and see Miss Kitty. She loves your allergies, and I know they love her. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cats suck, man. Let's just go, <laughs> Let's just go ahead and open that. But while we got this box out, while we're talking about um, George McCreary's Bibles and everything like that, cats fucking suck, man. Love my kitty. I don't, I don't understand him. I I genuinely am not a person that is cruel to things that cause me direct allergies in the same way that you know people that are allergic to bananas just like to smash bananas for fun. Sometimes it's like a form of primal therapy. I have, I wish no harm upon any cat in this world, but I don't I don't like your cat. <laughs> your cat probably doesn't like me, and I don't like your cat. If you're listening, I'm talking about your cat. <laughs> yeah, he he actually does love my cat and snuggles with her every night. She's only eaten one of his phone cords, and you know that's a small price to pay for having a sixteen-pound piece of love on your chest as you're trying to sleep at night. Close up your respiratory system, and that's that's what we'll offer as a second part of that fifteenth tier of the Patreon. Is I'll make a video where I really talk about how awesome your cat is. I'll send you a personal video talking about how awesome Mister Whiskers is, or whatever. We'll do a 30-minute apology yeah. video. And a cat video for me. <laughs> we'll do a $30 tier. $30 tier is a self-torture, allergy-ridden video <laughs> saying, I love your cat while holding a cat. Oh, oh man. that's Yeah, that's got to be $30. I'm not doing, I'm not doing that for $15. i am not i am not washing off the next day just scratching like crazy. That's, yeah. that's a good $30 tier. That's absolutely correct. Need the extra $15 for the medication. Damn straight. That Benadryl ain't cheap. (laughs) Uh, You know what is cheap, though, is uh, the jokes that we get in terms of in in terms of the idea that he raped a tree, man. Oh, God, we're we're going a little too far there. What is that shit? Honestly, like American dad does that sometimes. And I'm just like, who is that for? Who is the incest joke for? Who is the tree raping joke for? Who is that for? Hold up. We got to go back. He's got a first experience what it's like to get fired from the McCreary Bible Company, baby. J.K. Simmons doing a great job as Sidney's boss in the voice acting on this, by the way. Like, he plays a great angry boss. He always will. Ever since Joe Jameson and – or Jay Jonah, and he's going to continue to be. By the way – I feel like we're a year out from not a year out from this. We're like six months out from this at this point. We can talk. Did you see you don't like the Spider Man movies? Do I remember that correctly? I there are only three Spider Man movies. Each one of them has rain in it. <laughs> Fair. All right. Well, you'll be happy to learn then, as someone who is who only believes in the original trilogy, that there is a cutscene at the end of Homecoming. When he comes back to New York and he and MJ are going on a little date and they're swinging around and everything like that, out pops this idea that there's a, like basically a Breitbart news – that the Daily Bugle has become basically Breitbart news, that it's just this like ranter that's going nuts. And it's fucking J. Jonah Jameson who's just ranting off about Spider-Man, and it's still – it is still J.K. Simmons, which makes it that much better. He really made those movies even more special than they already were. You're absolutely right. He he was the best part of that atrocious three movie. He Hold was up. awesome in two. He was phenomenal in one. He was a he was a literal comic book come to life in one. He was great. 
I said atrocious about the third one. You heard me correctly. <laughs> First, second are fantastic movies, and they will not be forgotten in this age. The third one was fantastic. Not as good as the first two. It is the Shrek 3 of the bunch, if man, you will. Bring Shrek into this. <laughs> Shrek's terrible all over, man. <laughs> we will not speak of that in this church. And speaking of what is in this church, we have a buff, ripped Jesus again. We do. We do. I'm so glad you saw that as well. I was like, oh, my God, it's the, it's the calendar Jesus. That's your idea of God? Hey, kick your ass. <laughs> right? Like that. I love how that is the way that they always have Jesus. It is always just like rip chiseled Jesus in a tight little European sling. Just, yeah, man. Six packs just loaded up. Yeah, man. It's That's a great vision of God. <laughs> like, I mean, you're going to go for American Jesus. You might as well get full <laughs> American Jesus and his toy package. <laughs> That totally is American Jesus. That's so fucking funny. Man, he is the most hetero Jesus you will find. You think Jesus had a tan out in the Middle East? Heck no. Jesus was a chiseled white man because his skin was radiant with the word of the Lord. Those abs? First one, Solomon. Second one, Corinthians. The one below that? Revelations. Because he will destroy you with his six-pack of justice. <laughs> he don't need no sword, no shield, no armor. When he's jacked like that. And, you know, the thing about this is, you know, I know that Jesus, he liked to wear sandals because that was the style in the Middle East at the times. But, you know, if Jesus was alive today and working out at my gym, Jesus would be wearing some Nikes, man. And, you know, he's going to probably stop by for a Big Mac after the game because American Jesus, he just he loves him a little snack from time to time. And you know what Jesus doesn't drink? He turns Pepsi into Coke. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get on that trail while we're here. He is a man who turns it back into a McDonald's Coke. Not just any Coke. Which not is a in so Mexico Coke with real sugar. Not that fake stuff you find in America. But the original canister Coke that Lord God bless McDonald's still has that for. And if they ever, if they ever lose that, I will never go to McDonald's ever again. For they, that sacrilege will not be passed down for any generation. That is one thing I will fight for. By God, you will not take away my McDonald's original Coca-Cola recipe. It's still got that cocaine kick in it. Every 48 ounces. The recommended dosage per meal. You can look it up. That's why it's a large, because it's American size, baby. You know, the only thing that's more delicious than than Coke is good apple tree apples, man. Like straight off the apple tree, you just take a nice big old bite out of it, and you start singing the Johnny Appleseed song, man. For giving me the things I need, the bird and the seed. All right, we need to have a very serious talk for a second, you and me, as two two. Two kids that were raised Protestant. Did you always sing that song before lunch when you were a kid? Or am I totally nuts? I've heard it in other churches here. Okay. We did not. We did not have it in our church, but there were churches around that they did have it as part of their hymns. Right. So here's the really, really fucked up part about all that. 
So I did some research because I thought to myself, that's a that's a beautifully esoteric joke. That is that's very funny as a as someone who grew up in a Presbyterian household. I think that's really funny because I remember singing that as a prayer for lunch from time to time when we were kids or having some other kids house that I was at. They would sing that. That's not a hymn, man. That's not even like a poem by a well-known Presbyterian or, or Methodist or anything like that. Uh, that's from a Disney cartoon. That is, song from- is from a fucking Disney cartoon, a Disney animated feature about Johnny Appleseed. And that says so much about how closely we tie Disney to religion. Hey, Disney is a Christian. Dude, I'm, I've been told that one, too. And it's not. No, Disney he <laughs> in any form or sense of the word. Disney is a businessman. Disney is a capitalist. I I despise when Disney is brought up like where the kids can't watch a lot of violent TV, but they can always watch a Disney movie. I'm I'm tired of that, man. I'm tired of that life. I'm a I'm gonna go ahead and hop on that right quick. Please do. Um, Please cut my, me about three minutes into that. My favorite one is the whole monster energy drink one with the lady that's like, uh-huh, and what are the three symbols on the monster can? It is the Hebrew language for 666. Six, six. Every time you turn that up, the devil laughs. That video. I've never seen that video. What nonsense is that? Are you kidding me? No. I've never seen that video. What is Dead that? Dead ass. That is one of my favorite ones that ever made its rounds. Is that a commercial where Monster's trying to sell its drink? No, that is actually a Christian woman that is saying that if you drink Monster Energy, you are worshiping Satan. They stretching that like Black Dynamite trying to solve a mystery is what they doing. They do the Batman trope? Yeah. Yeah. I will say this. That is a hell of a, that is a hell of a soft drink. And... You know what else is it? You know what is a hell of a snack to go with that soft drink? What is it, baby? Baloney, man. And that's the first thing that the Smith family utters when we cut back to them. We The tree has been raped. The chickens have been turned into Cornish game hens, or the pigeons have been turned into Cornish game hens. I love that. That's <laughs> great. I agree. Oh, Garnished. I, I would have loved a good joke of, like, pigeons with their tongues out, like, clearly poisoned, but that's much funnier. That's just... Throw in some murdering the pigeons in the park. That's right. That's what I thought, too, man. I was like, uh, I totally miss misremember this episode because I thought it was like the Tom Lear, like poisoning pigeons in the park bit. I was like, and he poisons the pigeons in the park. <laughs> like Every that. Sunday we'll do it a squirrel or two. <laughs> we cut back to the Smith family and they are they are returned because what does he do? He, oh, the, Klaus does the does the dust trick and it works for once and he's able to snatch Simon away and they are broken from the spell and they say a very American dad thing here. They just say, who wants to uh, anyone want to check on the baloney situation in the fridge? You're literally just saying, what it, you're just throwing together a couple of words on the wall and being like that's the reason we need them to leave the room. <laughs> we, we, need, we need a way to go ahead and get them out of the scene so that way we can bring Klaus back from 40 years of pain. I love I love the the Chronicle of Narnia laws of time travel that were being applied to to Klaus's adventure. By the way, that was brilliant. The oh, I was only gone for a couple of seconds. It was sixty years back there. I love I love when a good science fiction or just any any program does that. 
like sitting in the Holy Grail cuts open the head of one of Cthulhu's spawns. <laughs> that looked at, that looked like something straight out of I'm sorry, John. Speaking of which, that has become my new favorite subreddit. I appreciate you yeah. direction. <laughs> I got you, baby. <laughs> that it, love it looked, crafty and horror. <laughs> that shit is terrifying, man. And that's what this that's what whatever Klaus cuts himself out of the belly of is. That is horrifying. And then I love the whole hitman, I'll kill him for you. Mm-hmm. Explaining the card stock. It's like, this man's an actual expert. Look at the card stock used on this. Raised lettering. It reminded me of that scene in um, in American Psycho where they're comparing the business cards. and They're talking about raised settings and shit like that. That shit was too funny. I loved the whole joke with the hitman about the password. John DiMaggio, by the way, voice of Bender doing the doing the hit, man. I appreciate that too. There's some good. There's some solid voice acting in this episode. Oh yeah. I mean, looking at the baby's changing station, you got a nice little Bowie knife there with two nine mils. This is clearly <laughs> a hitman who's got some backstory. That that's the only bit of glimpse into his life we get is that he's changing a child, and apparently he's divorced or or you know can't be can't be trusted to take care of his kids. Which again, if you're a hitman. You know, I'm sure there are plenty of hitmen that are good parents, but I, I'm sure that there are plenty that life's work sometimes gets in the way. And then we'll cut right back to good old CJ Penny <laughs> and finding out some of Sydney's favorite words like herpes and gonorrhea. <laughs> the whole gag of like brushing his hair back, putting on glasses and oh, oh, that is Sydney. Yeah. And then just taking it off right in front of her. And, oh, it was a disguise the whole time. You know, in a way, I think we all wear disguises. Yes, yes, we all wear metaphorical masks to hide our true selves in an impersonal modern society. And then <laughs> in comes the hitman with his daughter with a nice little Dora balloon because she is adorable. <laughs> also, more than likely because of um, the fact that the director... Tim Parsons worked on a lot of Nickelodeon programs. Looks like Hey Arnold, SpongeBob SquarePants, maybe giving a shout out to one of the folks he left back at Nickelodeon, just being like, hey, you were on my art staff and you're responsible for Dora the Explorer now. Here's a little shout out on network TV for you. <laughs> it could be sweet. You never know. It could be something that that obscure. We, the only way we're going to know is we're going to get these guys on here and we're going to start asking these questions. Right. And you can always help us by expanding and, you know, suggesting your friends and family to go ahead and give it a shot. <laughs> if you right. think they would enjoy it, and we'll go ahead and reach out and we'll try to get bigger and better guests on. <laughs> if you know someone who is a cousin of someone whose sister used to date Matt McKenna in high school, we'd like to talk to you. <laughs> right. You know, you've got the hitman takes her hostage is rogers just gonna get out of there sydney pops back up mr huffman himself so no you can't you can't really leave this girl can you and then we finally get the full backstory you sure as to why the split happened over ten dollars and we get another really really weird racial slur in this story not even a racial slur but just a weird like what a weird thing to be doing with an extra specific ethnicity and that is he begins his story by saying i remember the night i became sydney huffman i was shooting dice with armenians like what the fuck does that mean <laughs> like is that a uh, is a big a stereotype thing? do armenians shoot dice that's that's what i'm trying to figure out man also i've got to say 
one thing that kind of bothers me with rewatching everything is when you look back at the place where you have Roger looking over, she just got done saying, looking for a man that treats me nice. You have him looking over the case in between Roger looking over and squinting in the sunglass stand. The person in the back is literally Lois with different hair. Love it. Exact same character face and everything, but the hair is like slightly changed. That's a good eye, man. I definitely didn't see that. That's a good eye. But you've got Sydney trying to get those gloves and he's got to attend to those underaged children and he's his hands are too cold to do it. <laughs> A good, nice fella who treats me sober. Oh, I don't ever touch the devil's nectar. Oh, God. <laughs> Most of Sydney's dialogue in this is great 40s era statements or euphemisms. And you've got the plan unraveling, bringing her flowers, trying to gain her trust just to Spending get the way more money than 10 dog gloves are worth. $700 for the that, diamond necklace. That reminds me. So one of the other things I did in my research is I went to IMDb and God bless those people at IMDb because they don't miss a damn thing. They literally have this this thing as goofs. And this is what they had for some one of the goofs. It was initially it was said that a $5,000 ring was charged the account, but a $700. Oh, never mind. I'm sorry. That was about some other mathematical fact in this in this series. But like. But a seven hundred dollar necklace was actually purchased. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Is that like, uh, was it meant to be like a little inconsistency with it? Or there's four of these. For example, Judy is clearly taller than Sydney, yet the photo of them both in Sydney's room shows them to be the same height. It's or confusing perspective. Or here we go. Go back to something that we had talked about earlier. When McCreary is reading the first line from the book of Genesis, the Bible is open to the middle. It should be open to approximately the first page, as Genesis is the first book of the Bible. What I mean, what if you switch the uh, Old and the New Testament around, huh? There we go, huh? Huh? Think it's a smart IMDb? And we've got the necklace being removed with the key, being switched with the beautiful necklace. But you can't use this mirror. This is for customers. You need to go to the back. Use the employee one. And, of course, she's going to fall for it. She's going to go right on to the back. Meanwhile, you have Roger going up to the front display case. He's going to be opening up the case, and he is going to be taking out the gloves as he leaves the case wide open. He should have closed it right there. That is a minor mistake, which actually you will find. If you are actually going to be robbing a store, it is best to go ahead and leave it as it was beforehand. This is a subtle nod to the fact that Roger is a terrible stealer, as he is a good Christian man, and he never intended to actually steal those. As it says in Leviticus, a Christian would never do that. That was amazing. That was, ladies and gentlemen, if you can, for these succinct descriptions of what happens in American Dad, I think you've just, you've just reached your pinnacle. We cannot do better. We will try, but I do not think we can recreate that. We'll go ahead and bring back shoutcasting next week. So we shoutcast the whole episode <laughs> from start to finish. Sydney, he's going to be thinking it over in his head. He's going to be going with it. He's going to be splitting in his head. He's going to be grabbing for his eyes. He's going to be you showing it. You know what song is playing when is when he splits Pennsylvania six five hundred. It's that it's that same song we heard when we were first introduced to, to Sydney. Good bit of musical cue right there. And uh, is that from a movie? Is Pennsylvania six five hundred from a movie? It was a very very popular song in the nineteen forties. Uh, Glenn Miller was a very 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 popular individual, but I don't see. I'm looking at I'm looking at its use in popular culture. 
And many big-name bands played in the Hotel Pennsylvania's Cafe Rouge, including the Glenn Miller Orchestra. The phone number became the inspiration for the top five Billboard hit of the same name. So is this saying that its phone number was, yes, you guessed it, the Glenn Miller recording repeats Pennsylvania 6500? So that was the actual telephone number for it? For the cafe, yeah. Or the hotel that the cafe was in. I mean, that, that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Oh, I wonder if this thing's still around. Uh, is considered no longer considered to be a part of the Pennsylvania. Uh, now I'm just being a weird history nerd. Don't 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 worry about me. Now I'm just looking at its, its preservation and everything. <laughs> we'll go so ahead. And- the cafe. I'm sorry. This is this actually is really interesting. In 2014, the Cafe Rouge, the place where Pennsylvania 6500's inspiration came from, was converted to an indoor basketball court known as Terminal 23 to promote the launch of the M of the Mellow M10 by the Jordan brand division of Nike. Much is, of the, most of the original interior remained intact. The fountain and beam ceilings and other architectural details remain, though the entire room as well as the ceiling have been painted over in white. That is a weird transition. That is a weird transition, man. I'm sorry. I got nothing to – I can't tie that back to Mello. There's nothing There's nothing good I want to say about Carmelo Anthony that has anything to do with Roger splitting back and de- betraying Sydney. Because he does, man. He calls him a good egg. And again, IMDb's got something to tell him. They say – after he stabs his alter ego, he puts on the black gloves, but then he walks out of the dressing room and tells Judy Sydney's gone, and this guy only looks out for numero uno while gesturing with his bare hands. So IMDb caught that mistake. Just uh, just careless animating, just totally careless. And I have no genitals. It's okay, I have both. What Again, who is that for? What? Whose joke is that for? Who's laughing at that? Honestly. Honestly, but that's where we've got it. That's where we got it, man. That is it. So, what do we think, rating wise? What are you giving it? Seven point two out of ten. I don't know. I, I guess it's because I haven't watched it in so long that it's kind of, you know, that that's one of the good factors to it, and one of the bad things with it is like I feel like that is one of few episodes that is like very easily uh you know brought back and rewatched and you know you'll forget some things you'll find new things with it it's a very lovely episode that's not to go on the uh artistic side of it they they did such a wonderful job with the story writing everything with it it flowed so smoothly i i guess i give it such a low rating because of the side story being so weak okay that's fair like, you know, yeah, it is a very Roger heavy episode. It's very it is a you know wonderful episode. You can rewatch it, all that. But it's, uh, you know, you do only have the core story and it's basically like a, a full Roger thing. You know, like we were saying at the beginning, I think if this was like a full movie on its own or like a uh, like a 45 minute thing, I might like it more. But what are, what are you going to give this? You know, man, I, I got to go ahead and go 10 out of 10. I, this is this is one of the few episodes of American Dad, and I'm I'm probably gonna have to change up my top five list again because this this one definitely deserves inclusion. I don't know if this is the best American Dad ever made, but it's definitely a different American Dad in that they're five seasons into this at this point. They've kind of figured out what works and what doesn't work for each of the characters, and to take a secondary character, albeit a very very funny and and very popular secondary character, to put a secondary character in make the entire episode about him for the exception of maybe three minutes and to pull it off in this style that looks more like a movie than necessarily a an animated show. 
It's very well done. And the idea that you – we've seen Rogers personas before. We know that that's part of his bit. For, but for them to have – for him to go from flippantly switching characters at the start of the episode to showing that they have consequences and impacts and a backstory, that opens up like three future episodes down the line. The one where Stan has to manage, manage one, Rogers personas is one. The one where Ricky Spanish takes on a life of his own is two. And then the idea that totally blanking on the third, but those are two that basically it's all to say that like this opens up a couple more doors for more stuff to do with Roger and just Roger. And it gives Klaus a very funny B story that he doesn't get a lot of. We've done an episode with Klaus as the B story before. And it was the, when he was trapped in the hotel and that was good for about one lap, maybe two. And again, large part due to D Bradley Baker's voice acting and his ability to scream Benji. Klaus doesn't get a lot of good B stories with this exception and then finances with wolves being the obvious other one. And so for him to be able to come in and be the savior of the family and live in this sort of mystical kingdom. And we just, you kind of want to, you kind of want to go into that more. I would have been fine watching one more cutaway of that, of him in the midst of this adventure of his just for the fuck of it. But the fact that they didn't a, because they ran out of time or B because they just didn't think it was going to be funny if they showed any part of it. I still would have wanted to see a part of that. So that's a really good sign of a strong B story is that I would watch a whole episode based on that. So that's why I give it a 10 out of 10. I got you. I fully respect that. And that being said, uh, we will we will be back with another episode. And we will see y'all off until then. We, do, we will. Real quick, while, while, while we've got each other before we say goodbye, I do yeah. want to say to anybody that's listening that has been listening for the first episode or two, we really appreciate it. Like, we're just doing this to have fun because we both love American Dad and we like talking about it and it's a good time and a good conversation and everything like that. And we know that it's not like thousands of people are listening in or anything like that. We know we're, we're nowhere near even Z-list celebrity or anything like that. But the fact that y'all take time out of your day and listen to us, whether you're driving in your car or doing whatever, we appreciate the hell out of that. And, you know, feel free if you have any questions or comments or anything like that. To, we have a new uh, Twitter page. It's Win and the J-Man. It's just spelled out, Win and the J-Man. And then we have Win and the J-Man at gmail.com. So if you ever want to give us some feedback or Anything like that, or even suggest future episodes, please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you guys.